part two of El Politico is recorded at uh, 1pm on Wednesday the 18th of January and seeing as we got half of what we wanted to talk about in the, of <laughs> Ireland in the first part we're, we're, we're second part Ireland uh, so we're, we're bonus territory episode here and we're going talking about now a serious topic here a very serious topic and before we do, we're going to play a little bit of music and we say, we'll start with, on a sort of a lighter note, Paul, and we say, because uh, you are a man with an, uh, an impeccable taste in music. Uh, that's all very subjective. Well, <laughs> well music is subjective in general. Yeah, exactly. But, but, but we'll say your choices on this show and in general have always been inspired, is how oh, I, I, would, no, I, would, I would describe them. And, <laughs> I'm, and, and Tom, I'm blushing here, Tom, Luke. Tom, you're a connoisseur of music as well. So well, I think only only people that subscribe to Scarf Bay Community should get this part of the show. This should be the bo- this should be the part <laughs> that you get the, if you're a subscriber. It's the Paddy McMahon Claire Echo philosophy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so now, we're, we're going to play um, a clip from a song called No Profit in Pain. Yeah. So, Paul, tell us about it and why we're playing this. Okay. Well, look, I've been, like I say, we haven't had an El, we don't do an El Political show regularly. We do it kind of, um, when, we'll, when we'll, the we'll, we'll, be, we'll be gearing up, hopefully. We'll yeah, say, possibly. In the, in the flexing one. muscles and yeah. all that kind of thing. But, um, no more so than yourselves or anything, any any of the media outlets, Claire Echo, Claire Champion, um, national broadcasters, the whole thing. But I've been listening to ye, ye yourselves on the local media show here and I suppose it's the whole debate on the health service and you've kind of dealt with it pretty much most weeks because you do reflect the headlines in the newspapers. Um, so I, kind of, I was hoping that maybe we could do a little section on um, the health service here in El Politico as well. And um, just to start out, just to kind of um, set the tone or a little bit, not necessarily set the tone, but a base piece of music. And um, I do think um, this is a piece from 2018 celebrating the establishment of the, or celebrating the 70th anniversary of the establishment of the National Health Service in England, the NHS, the famous NHS, which was set up in 1948 by the, you know, um, uh, and Aaron Bevan, Nye Bevan, a kind of a famous Welsh politician, a kind of a firebrand politician who, who was part of the Clement Attlee government. I often talk about this on various shows, the Clement Attlee government. We talk about governments. That was the government that came in directly after the Second World War um, that were elected in September 1945. So Churchill had won the war, expected to kind of ride that um, tidal wave of emotion and create a new Conservative government. But no, there was a socialist government under the leadership of Clement Attlee. It's a famous kind of, I think it's a famous time in politics myself that people had come through so much trauma but they were able to look at a vision to the future and see what it is needed from a social point of view but part of this social contract that was established was the creation of a health service um, the NHS so this is look we, we, we might use this as an anchor or a little bit of an anchor um, to our discussion afterwards but this is a song um, from 2018 celebrating 70 years and it's from um, a Welsh singer called Griff Rees um, Thomas you might know him from the Super Furry Animals have you ever used the Super Furry Animals in your DJ gigs that you possibly have <laughs> juxtaposed with you that type of music maybe from the 90s anyway he's a Welsh nationalist but he was commissioned to write this song it's a nice piece of music um, no profit in pain right so we're going to play a little bit of a clip from that and Paul you, your taste in Welsh music is uh, well, well uh, acknowledged and recognised Tom Jones he's Welsh isn't he absolutely I think good uh, stable diet Gr- there Gruffris is no Tom Jones so, <laughs> but, but uh, good in his own way right we'll play a clip from this Charles Bond, 
the journey to assemble how great thou art. Counseling in Bethlehem, William Prince, Betty could dwell at the split my hair from the last and when I broke my heart. Now then, that's a nice little sort of a song that you can sort of listen to. And you think, oh, that's a nice little song, easy listening. But if you sort of listen to the lyrics there, you can see, I think poor Gruff isn't a Tory fan, uh, Paul. No, no, yeah, we, we can't, I suppose. Um, check them out, check the lyrics. Um, he even admits that himself, that he's pretty kind of vicious in his lyrics there, if you listen into them. How would that work on the um, great dance floors of Claire Thomas at a certain point in night? I think it would, I th- I think it would be... Um, it's it's kind of reminiscent of a, a particular time. I think of of kind of indie music. Mm. Well, that's where he'd be coming I was, from. I was yeah, I was I was looking. I was actually looking for a song that has no relation to that at all. But um, back in the day, uh, Dawson's Creek, Dawson's which, Creek, was the television program, the television program. But um, one of the one of the the first hits from that was from a band. Um, called Sixpence None the Richer, and there was a song called Kiss Me. And I the, remember the, that. The, the melody, the melody is slower, but it's very, very similar to that, to that, to that um, style. Yeah. But a little bit fast. But it was a huge, it was a, it was a huge kind of teenage hit that, that 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 made its way onto the soundtrack of the first Dawson's Creek I can series. Re- I remember the song. I remember that song. Yeah, and it was a very, it was one of those catchy, catchy sorts mm. of pieces that myself and Luke probably played back <laughs> in the day when we were asked why. Um, I heard you Young say Young horn dogs to that, <laughs> that were looking to get the shift right, Yeah but, that but, section But, but, but we, we could talk yeah, about that okay. Before we came on air We were sort of We were discussing Sort of a Heavy rock band Sort of Churning oh, yeah. out ball- ballads Tom And you're not a fan because uh, super furry animals would be more rockers rather than mm, producing that type mm, of music. Well, uh, well, I was going to say even the name that that suggests that uh, that you're going for a bit of a live, um, how do you say, a bit of a good time. You know what I mean? The super furry yeah. animals, even the, the 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 language. You know, this would be kind of the interlude where it's mm. a case of let's get yourself a drink at yeah. the bar and we'll play this, and it just settles everyone down again yeah. and the securely like kind of going, "Command lads, that's great," because we're after throwing a four or five that yeah. went mental for the for the more heavier stuff. Yeah. Well, this is the beauty of an artist like Griff Reese. You know, you, you, when you talk about super furry animals, we're talking about something that's 25, nearly 30 years old. As you can see this evolution of a character. And I love this actually through any form of art, whether it's music or, or writing or poetry, or whatever. When you see the evolution of a character, that they don't always stay the same. You yeah. know, that they do evolve in the pieces that they produce. And I think that's really good. And you're dead right. And it's, this is what I love, actually. This... Um, a bit of music with a hard-edged political part of it as well and that's a skill that we do see in the world at various times I think he did it quite well there with this particular song we're not going to spend the whole show now talking no, about but, Eric but, Fries, no, but, the, the, but the, the funny thing is ballads, <laughs> ballads, ballads if you listen to the lyrics of most ballads they're they're kind of sad. They're mm. they're they're based around you know you're you're Experience. in a bit of a you're yeah Experience. you're you're in a bit of a low point in yeah. your life and go off and write a song for yourself. Yeah. I mean you look at Dermot Kennedy now mm. right who's coming to Tolman Park mm, next in summer, the, isn't the, the next summer right kiss bit, me right. an eleven year old talking or a ten year old at home <laughs> yeah, talking about it. it, it yeah. Sure, yeah. My own was there kind of going they'd be they'd be into going but he only has let's say three or four songs yeah. there. But the thing about it is even his number one hit kiss me. I mean if you listen to the lyrics of that you know kiss me like we died tonight you know as mm. if you you know. But so there's always a negative tinge mm. to a ballad mm. as such. Yeah. 
you that's know true. that's right, very true right, okay, it's their well, nature right well we, we've taken that's our 10 minute sidebar of, of yeah. music hope our subscribers love that piece yeah. <laughs> well, 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 well no, it's interesting because it, it, I think there's a context it, here that I might refer to again later there is and it's a little bit like that's a man that's basically writing a song lamenting the attempts of the Tories I think to sell off the NHS and it's a topic that we're going to come into and Paul you had said um, you wanted to give it a bit of time and yeah. I don't think you realised uh, that I said I'd, okay we'll give a whole show to it and because I think it's very deserving of it because okay. it's not a topic that you can sort of give it five minutes on and pay it justice yeah okay yeah. and basically the question we're talking about is health health in Ireland mm. and the health system mm. okay yeah. and and before uh, you know the people start, sort of start knocking us for talking about this um, I'm going to just say at the start and, and this is just from I've had a bit of personal experience of it and I know other people have had personal experience this is not a knock on the people that are on the front line of the health system no, this is actually in defence of them and how they are being let down. Because anyone will tell you, probably one of the hardest things that will happen to you in relation to the health service in Ireland is to get into the system. But there Mm. are very few people that will have nothing but good things to say about the treatment and the care that they get when they're actually in the system. And I want to make that very, very clear before we start. So that's the good bit, Tom. Well, just from personal experience, when I dislocated my shoulder... I was brought in the middle of the night into Limerick when <coughs> COVID was rife and uh, I'm, I mean treated so well in everything and then I was brought in another time when COVID wasn't there and there was four lads on stretchers that were all down Limerick City that were uh, on how do you say unconscious because of too much alcohol mm. and they were sleeping out for the night but it took up four stretchers in that particular yeah. alleyway. So I mean you know there's there's so many layers to the health system and the experience that you would have that, again, I would um, reiterate the, the, what you call it, the comments that you've made about the staff that are there at the front line. And uh, incredible sometimes to see the way they work under the conditions they work. And as I said, when you're, when you're zigzagging down the corridors to try and miss the trolleys and people, and you know, the, there's such a dignity that's lost when you're lying on a trolley in a corridor. There's, you know, there's, there's fundamentals that you go, well, how is this happening? Yeah, it's been described. If you, you, what you, we talked about language in the last element of the show, but the language has been very important in, in, in this whole debate. And it's a debate now that has been, look, it has been ongoing for years. Yeah. And could, could, sorry, Paul, I'll just put in again, sorry, uh, uh, the great line from uh, the Taoiseach at the time, not all heroes wear capes. Alluding right. to the people in the on the front line <laughs> in the health in the health sector, slightly ironic given that you know he's a qualified doctor himself, and you'd say okay he went and back and did a little bit in relation to it. That's all well and good, but he, as leader of the country, this is Leo Varadkar we're talking about, was previously a minister for health. Michal Martin was previously a minister for health. He was also leader of the country, and there are serious questions to be answered in relation to. Uh, the Department of Health, which is sort of uh, otherwise known as uh, Angola, in that you sort of don't want to be sent to it. If you sort of want to knock someone down for a while, you send them there. As minister. In as minister. But it hasn't done those two boys much harm. But this sort of goes back to the topic that we want to talk about, Paul. So Mm. I'm going to let you sort of introduce it and just sort of give your thoughts and then we'll come in. Okay, Thomas, we talked about the importance of language. Language is important in this. And 
the system that we have now has been described, the A&E system, which is kind of a, a significant point of entry for a lot of people's access um, to the health service. And that is not necessarily the right path either. But the lang- it's been described as being inhumane. It's an inhumane system. And absolutely, it is an inhumane system when you see the level of overcrowding in the A&D that we have experienced here in the Midwest specifically and all over the country um, over the last number of months. And like I said, Luke, earlier, I've listened to ye on the local media show here, um, try to tease it out, try to debate it, um, you know, and I think it's important that we do debate it. And as you said there, it's not a reflection in any way on the, the people that work in the system because to all intents and purposes, that still is a very vocational type system. There's a massive commitment, but we are at a most definite crossroads now and we're at a definite specific crossroads in Limerick in that we have probably crossed that Rubicon whereby people won't want to come and work in a hospital like UHL as it's currently um, Well, you, you have structured. a situation in the country where, you know, we're, we're um, teaching qualifying doctors and they're all going to Australia and New Zealand because their services are being valued. Yeah, this is one of the elements, and this is, this is this goes back to what you said there. It's about the systems. We're trying. We're going to try and tease out the systems. And I think you've actually just referenced everybody. We, we can know this. So if you can start to put meat on the policy bones of this as a political system, you should be one of those um, that Thomas mentioned there was alcohol. One that you're just starting to mention now is our ability to retain doctors and nurses that they're straight away going to travel around the world because the system here is so bad. So if you look at perhaps just specifically look at Limerick or look at our Midwest, just take it from this perspective because I suppose we are at the coalface of the country. We have been the worst performing hospital network um, in the country for the last number of years. Yeah. And why is that? So the most definite reason for that is the reconfiguration. This, um, Bear with me on this, but it's the reconfiguration of hospitals that began in 2009. Um, so we lost our A&D in Ennis, we lost our A&D in Nina, and we lost our A&D in St. John's. And we were all going to be sent into, quote-unquote, the Centre Center of, of excellence. excellence. Yeah, absolutely, this is it. So the concept and the principle of centralising services from an accident emergency point of view, I wouldn't disagree with that, as long as it's done properly. And I don't feel it has been done properly. And we're starting to see now iterations and little bits of trying to address it. From day one and from now on, we should insist on having a parallel medical assessment unit in Nina, St. John's and Ennis working on the same hours and the same days as the emergency department of Limerick Hospital. We should have a minor injuries clinic that works on the same hours and the same days as the accident emergency in Limerick. If you have that type of a system, you have a better chance of having a centralised A&D working properly the way it should work to deliver the best outcomes to people that have to access it at any given time from an A&E perspective. Okay, so now I'm, I'm going to come back to a point I raised earlier in part one of the show. The Fine Gael have been in power since 2011. This, as you have alluded to, was with the realigning of, we'll say, the closing of the 24-hour A&Es in Clare and Tip, and we we'll said John's. So, we're 11 years on. We're four, 13, 14 years on from it. It's worse. One party has been in power for 11 years. Mm. 
absolute disaster. And the Taoiseach has been a Minister for Health during that interim as well at that point in time. Because the reason for that is, is that they haven't been committed to doing it properly. They've tried to do it on the cheap. From the very start, from the very first time, even before um, the Fine Gael Labour government, in the 2009, Mary Harney was still Minister for Health. I remember watching it on prime time, one of the first nights at the reconfiguration, when it was about to come in place, 2009. And she was on debating it with the Director of Clinical... Um, the director, the, the clinical director for the implementation, Paul Burke was his name at the time, a surgeon in St. John's. And you could see that he brought up something that night in relation to ambulance cover. And um, she was just flummoxed. Which, again, basically the point he was trying to make was that she was trying to do it on the cheap. This needed to be sorted or this wasn't going to work. It was sorted then straight away. The political decision was made to sort it. That element of it was sorted. The overall thing, like I say, trying to do it on the cheap, pull back on MAU, pull back on minor injuries, expect it to work. Then we spent a number of years, and the political system spent a number of years saying, oh, we're going to build a brand new A&E department in Limerick, and that'll solve everything. It was filled up within six months. It solved nothing, because you're not dealing with the systems that you say there. Look, the systems, and the systems include, as I say, at the point of boring you, um, I'll repeat them again, MAU has to run in parallel, Minor and injuries has to run in parallel, medical, medical assessment, assessment unit. And, and another thing, Thomas, that you mentioned there, I remember this back years ago. Alcohol should be separated from any A&U in the Midwest. There should be a wet A&D like down in St. John's. The drunk tank. Send the drunks down have. there. Send the drug addicts. People have a responsibility themselves as well. Any person that's in there sleeping it off or under the influence of drugs or drink, that's been a personal choice. Now, OK, we have alcoholism, we have drug addiction, but that is too much at this stage of an impact on the people that need to be in A&D. So don't um, say to people you shouldn't have an A&E service, but you have a wet A&E service. You know, you have it down in another hospital location and that is where you go because the, the best part of it is sleeping it off. The worst part of it is, is going in creating havoc inside an A&D. So separate it out totally. Separate it out. So that's another system that could be addressed. Right, well, can, can I sort of um, go back in time, right? Because I think a huge chunk of the issue here revolves back to, and this is something, Paul, that you, I'm hoping because you've had personal experience of this. The HSE, the health service executive, was set up as a result of Mary Harney? Um, no. I'm oh, sorry. Before uh, her. Before Michal her. Martin was Michal actually Michal Minister Martin. for Health in sorry. 2002. Yeah. Right. The HSE was set up to be a centralised system to deal with health in this country. Exactly. Prior to that, we had what were known as regional health boards, and there were approximately eight, I think, in the country. Uh, it, it finished up with eleven because Dublin and the and the east of the country became and so they big, had a few. so yeah. they, they, they had to they, put they, in a few they, more they in from nineteen ninety nine. Now, back in a previous life, you had involvement in the yeah. Midwestern health board. Mm. So, I would say to you, right, would you just outline to us? a little bit about the work that you saw being done and the accountability that was there. And then explain to me how we went from a regionalised system and why we went from a regionalised system to a nationalised system and why that has gone to pot in the last 20 years. 
I think that's a great question. Luke, thank you very much. <laughs> look, I, look, the health boards, I'm, I'm not naive to say the halcyon days of the health boards and everything was perfect. No, nothing was perfect and nothing will ever be perfect when it comes to the provision of health services for any populace in any country in any part of the world. But um, I think it was a better system and I'll outline maybe why I think it was a better system. Um, the nature, as you rightly said there, there were eight health boards in the country. They served, we had the Midwest here, which was Clare, County Limerick, Limerick City and North Tipperary. Then you had like the Northwest, the Southwest, the Southeast, and you had three in Dublin. Ultimately, it broke into three because it got population. unwieldy and yeah. population got too big. So basically what you had there, they were created as a result of the 1970 Health Act and Actually, what that replaced was the 1947 Health Act, where the, the vestiture of health provision was with the county councils and, and in parallel, the church. The church basically ran all the hospitals up to 1970 at the, at, uh, in, in the country. So you had this new Health Act in 1970 that created this regional health board um, set up where you had health and social services were devolved to the regions. And each of those regions then had a CEO, a chief executive officer and a board of management You know, for the different sectors. And they also then, most importantly, had a board. And that board consisted of public representatives, um, from the associated region and members of the professions that had something to do with health, whether it was psychiatry or GPs or surgeons or uh, clinicians or ambulance people. So there was this board that came in. Okay, so so could I basically, if I put that in a nutshell, there was politicians, um, medical people, technical people that were in those 8 slash 11 health board uh, areas whose sole interest was in their area yes. and the provision of services in their area. Yes. And there would have been good and there would have been bad mm. and they would have been looking for this and they would have been looking for that. Yeah. Okay, right, yeah. carry on. That's exactly what it was. So the, the dynamic within that board, as I said, was a mixture of public representatives and professional interests in the health service, would, along with the board, the CEO would, and his would management it be, team. Would it be fair to say there was accountability. Absolutely, because that board had a statutory requirement to meet and was underpinned by legislation, as I said, the Health Act of 1970. So that met once a month at least on, on your main board meeting. So you went into a board meeting in Catherine Street, in the case of the Midwestern Health Board, on the first Friday of every month and you sat with your board members and you faced the executive of your regional health authority, your health board, and you went through your agenda, which included acute hospitals, included general hospitals like Ennis and Nina, and you fought and you debated and you teased out the issues and you referred stuff to Hawkins House in the Department of Health. And that's how it worked. And you, you gained an experience from the nursing um, representative um, and Kenny Ryan. And if in my own experience, um, from the, Paul Burke, the man I mentioned, he was there as a representative, um, David Clifford, or, um, David Clinch, sorry, Dr. David Clinch, again, a geriatrician from the hospital, Lee McNamara, you know, psychiatric nurse, uh, Mary Gray, GPs, uh, Jim Casey, a counsellor from North Tipperary, Bill Chambers, a counsellor from West Clare. You had a, a melting pot of, 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 of abilities um, in a health board, yeah, and you went through the system, and you know, and, and 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 you fought it out. Like I say, it wasn't exact, but it was a local accountability but, um, that was but, there, but, but it would and be a clear fair, statutory it, it would be fair responsibility. To say that I would say the people involved were, I said, sometimes you could question some of how they may have gone about it, but it would be fair to say that all those people were trying to do the best for the area they were covering, their local area. I would think so. 
No, you've said that now twice and I was I just kept it in my mind there a second. You said that twice and that was probably sometimes people talk about your greatest strength is your greatest weakness and a lot of people used that as a kind of a, a piece of ammunition to yes. undermine and attack the health boards. They said that, look at that here, it's just all about localism. This fellow wants, Jim Casey wants a, a regional hospital in Burles of Cain and Paul Bugler wants one in Scarif. Yeah. It never worked like that. In yeah. fairness, my experience, and I have no doubt but that it's the same experience all over the health boards, you had a committed set of representatives, public representatives and professional representatives that had a much more strategic and regional um, outlook. Yeah, you fought for your Raheen hospitals or you fought for your ambulance station in Scarif or whatever. You know, you fought for those things. But in fairness to all the members there, they had a broad Midwestern strategic um Okay. philosophy or outlook or whatever it is you want yeah. to call it and they sparked off each other we, ha- we, we we got an influence from clinicians or we got an influence from um, ke- uh, pharmacists you know everybody it was a melting pot like I say and I think that was a system that we threw out um, for the reason I think politically it created you managed to create this narrative that it was too localised and it was a ridiculous system and you need to centralise it, you'll get better value for money by doing that. Right, so this brings me on to my next topic of, we'll say, where it came to be that uh, it went from having local people and, as you said, between politicians, you know, medical people, Mm. everybody else, all accountable, Yes. right, to this system, this monolith that is now the HSE and no one appears to be accountable mm. to anything. Yeah. Well, what you did then, it was, I suppose there were three significant reports in the early 2000s in dealing with the Irish healthcare system. Um, there was the Hanley report, which was a working time, a European working time directive, which dealt with how we were going to appoint consultants and how we were going to have people working in the hospital services. There was the prospectus report, which was a kind of a business um, model being created. And prospectus, say, would have the... There was the concept of get rid of the health boards and create this monolith, as you call it, this centralised monolith that is the HSE, and you'll have more, you'll have more um, bang for your buck. And the third one then was the um, Neve Brennan. I remember her value for money in the health service. She's the wife. She's a professor of accounting in UCD, and she's the wife of Michael McDowell, as it happens. Actually, uh, there were three reports, excellent reports. And again, we I remember debating those and teasing them out um, at health board level, and it was quite extraordinary for whatever way. I think. That 2002, if you remember, that government, that was a, it was, as Charlie McCreevy famously said, it was the only time the opposition were voted out of government. Yeah. <laughs> Fianna Fáil absolutely um, did really well in that government. And I think Micheál Martin as Minister for Finance, or as Minister for Health at that time, you know, they felt politically they had a, a crest of a wave to, wave to ride. So I think at that time he felt that, yeah, I can get this through the political system. We're, we've a lot of political capital in the bank. It was quite extraordinary how they managed to get rid of this representative system and centralise it. Um, it was kind of <laughs> an example in politics. If you want it to work, I, I, it will work. I think a lot of it was an example of sort of sort of the backhanded level of politics because from, from the point of view of, and this is where you, I, I, it's one of the bugbears I always have. I, I have lots of them, by the way, in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> but that when you had the health boards, uh, there was one person at the top and one person will say on the top level of this pay scale, right? So you went from having approximately 11 people Mm. at that level to when the HSE was incorporated, that figure went up to over 600. Mm. Okay, now... Yeah, I, I, there was a specific. There, I suppose there, there are, there are. Um, there was a specific. In there was a political response um, from within the health system. The workers in the health system 
um, not in the hospitals or not in the direct provision of care, but in relation to the administration of the health system from the old health boards. At one point, there was a hiccup in that they weren't going to allow it to go through. This is this is heavy negotiating. This is what you expect. But one of the deals, and this was, I think, brought in by the Taoiseach at the time, was that you increased, the, there was a grade eight at the time yes. in the health board, a grade eight, pretty, just under CEO, director of service, just under that level. Just it would be it's, the a top. Signi- it's a significant it's, it's, it's a high. It's a high grade. I think there were only about 15 of those in the country um, at the time. One of the deals that was made at the time was to increase that number up to like 150 or something. So that helped to ease it over the line to get rid of the health boards and to create this HSC. And I put it to you, Paul, that that's possibly one of the reasons why we are where we are. Because you have this grade of people at management quote-unquote level that are being paid significant sums of money that may not have the relevant expertise to be involved in what they're doing, but it's a bit like I'm management, I'm mid, I'm this line, and I can tell you what to do, yeah. and I'm accountable to no one because Absolutely. because you said if you ask now, as you said there was eleven people that would have been accountable. In the, under the old regime and they were literally they well, were probably uh, in, in the local papers every week well, at, the, at the very you least you, 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 you were before um, like I say you had a top table of directors of service if you want to call them that and the CEO you didn't have grade 8s at the health board meeting but you, you fed down through yeah. so there was an accountability right. I was an accountability okay. we now have this great centralised uh, the, the uh, HSE health service executive who's in charge of it? Interestingly, I tell you who's going to be in charge of it. Go on. <laughs> a person who came from the Midwestern Health Board. The new incoming CEO is a man called Bernard Gloucester, who is just coming to the grade eight kind of level. And I know Bernard Gloucester is an excellent, he's actually currently the head of Tusla. He's an excellent public servant, in fairness to him. But he's about now to become the um, the head of the HSE, just as, 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 as an aside. But the, the other thing, uh, that's one side of it. That was the administrative, and that administrative scenario that we now have that was playing out after a generation almost 20 years yeah. it definitely as you said definitely um, has a huge impact in the delivery and presentation of services the second thing and it's the thing you keep mentioning there as well the accountability the very first thing that they did in relation to the HSC cut out a board there was a board a board that was a board of 8 or 10 people for the whole country that were kind of selected by the Minister for Health and you had what they called then a forum a regional forum um, which wasn't even representative of the original health boards I think it was even broader so it wasn't a statutory board that had a responsibility it was a forum where the HSE came every month to tell public representatives like councillors this is what we're doing but there was no mechanism to hold them accountable exactly which is an absolute um, it's a mistake. It's, I think it's a total mistake. I think it's a total mistake. Yeah. I just put put one uh, thing to you. The problems in UL, as it's now known, or we, we'd call it the regional, shall we say, because whatever the, the different hospitals that come under it now, they're not new. They've been ongoing for years. If it was a private company or if it was any other organisation there'd be somebody out front every day telling us about it. And, and I'll put this to you. During COVID, there was all these, um, the HSE managed to pull somebody out and start talking facts and figures. Mm. So they can do it if they want. But there's no one accountable mm. in UL coming out and sort of putting their head on the block and saying, right, I'm the person in charge of running this hospital and we're making a balls of it. Yeah. And this is what we're doing today. These are our figures today. You you had the scenario a few, uh, within the last two weeks where they had a HICWA inspection. 
the day before they had 100 people, 120 people on trolleys. Mm. The day of the HICWA inspection, they had no one. Yeah, you can have right? that. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. That was a, a pre-announced one. Yeah. But like, th- this nonsense. You, you, look, you're starting to see now, there has been, I think you're, and, but this is why it's so important now that um, there's an opportunity. You'd like to think that there's an opportunity for change, but change can only be led from the political system. Now, yeah, there's an opportunity for change. It's hard to see... Um, it's hard to see that at the moment. If you can go as far as Thomas is coming in there now, if you just just go to yesterday, right? I just and I'll finish on this for now. Yesterday, the only forum perhaps that might question is the Oireachtas Committee on Health, and that met yesterday to deal with this issue. Now it's the middle of January; they're dealing with this issue. Fair enough, they had their winter or they had their Christmas recess. We have two members from this constituency of Clare on that Oireachtas member for. Um, Committee for, for Health. And we also have a very vocal, um, Michael McNamara is very vocal on this. The two members we have are Martin Conway, Senator, and Cahill Crow, Deputy. Now, they met yesterday with this. Now, the transcript isn't, isn't, isn't available yet, but I just looked at, I looked at some of the stuff that they presented online um, last night. Well, t- specifically, the Cahill Crow presented online. Okay. And it, it, it's, 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 well, no, okay. I, 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 it, it, it's a snippet. It's only a part. But it's utterly ridiculous. He's just outlining what it is that's gone on that we all know about anyway. And it's going for a cheap headline. Using, you know, again, language is important. It's absolutely important. He talks about a centre of disaster, a centre of death. You know, um, Martin Conway talks about an unmitigated, an unmitigated disaster, lacklustre. Michael McNamara talks about a car crush, crash. This is all fine. We know this. But we need you as public representatives, as Oireachtas members, to come up with alternative plans if it isn't working. Right. Not just shouting and roaring at HSE executives inside an Oireachtas committee okay. and then putting a little snippet up on your Facebook page. Yeah. That's a waste of and, time and, at this stage. Uh, we'll say for the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael representatives, so taking Michael Mack out of that, uh, they have both been in power for seven or 11 of the, uh, mm. you know, seven or 11 years, the yeah. last 11 years. So what have they done about it? Mm. Right? <laughs> Yeah. No, Tom. Uh, Tom is the ballad in the music. <laughs> uh, thank God we have Paul Bugler with his experience from his. I didn't. I didn't know there was any any past uh, involvement in anything healthy wise. Um, listening on, and I'll, all I can take is a few little examples that I've experienced. Uh, number one. My uh, father-in-law was up in the Matter Hospital quite a few years ago and he was out in the lobby and there was a reception desk. And I want you to picture this for a second. In this lobby, there are two sides. On one side, the flowers are dead and on the other side, they're alive. (laughs) And he asked while he was sitting there to the receptionist, sorry, can I just ask a question? How come the flowers on the right-hand side are blooming and the ones on the left-hand side are not? And she turned around and says, they're in control of two different unions in the hospital. Mm. Now, that is also an element, I think, to the health system yeah. in Ireland. We, we have to be absolutely honest, you know, if we're going to deal with... I think... The other thing is... Our, 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 um, how do you say, our health minister at the moment, when he was inf- interviewed in the, in the dark there about a week or two, we, when it all started to kick off, and he was um, being asked numerous questions. One of the, the fundamental things that he kept throwing out was, oh, there's been loads of money thrown at yeah. the issue. There's loads of money. There's loads of money. We've put loads of money. Se- uh, consecutive yeah. governments have put loads of money. But as Paul has alluded to so many times, 
where is the actual strategic plan, the real plan to get us to where we want to go? Because there's been chopping and changing and changing and moving and change, mm. right through different years. And at the time when, when I heard that the um, regional health boards were coming to an end and it was going to be a kind of a central body, it was because there was so many administrations. There were so, so many. Yeah, there were so many people involved so that they were trying to bring it centralised to cut the load of, mm. of top-heavy kind of health board scenarios yeah. and that we were going to have this uh, slim, athletic health mm. board that we're going to, you know, we're going to follow. And as I said, um, Mary Harney was involved and everyone was all new. Was there going to be orientation? Well, at one stage, it was going to be a new private hospital and then it wasn't. And well, then there was different, yeah. different. There was so. I remember when my dad had his lung cancer operation in 1991. He was up in the matter and there was a new wing built at the time mm. and it wasn't opened because they couldn't fund it. Mm. You see, the capital expenditure is easy. To build the hospitals are easy. To run them afterwards, the revenue budget, to run it afterwards, to make sure you have an anaesthetist, a consultant, yeah. whatever number of nurses. Staffing. That's the staffing. Or the person who changes the flowers, whatever. You know, All that stuff is, is, is much, much, much more, much that more was, difficult. That was, the, the whole thing with the flowers was yeah. such a simple kind of, yeah. is that, well, you know, this side of the hospital is run by one yeah. unit yeah. and the other side is, and Mary, that's not her job. Mm. Yeah, Mary only waters these flowers. Yeah. She doesn't water those yeah. because the separate union waters those. That's what we, we see. Sometimes we're not honest. We're not absolutely frank. And maybe you can't be sometimes with the political system. Possibly. But is, is but there not so many vested interests? Yes, absolutely. Totally. In the corridors of power. Yes, there are. That they don't want to give mm. up this power. Abs of course, that's exactly it. That's it. And, and you can press certain buttons then that make people react in a certain way that take the heat off you as well. Yeah, but that's why we have, like, I mean, we've got our politicians and as you say yourself, they're shouting from the rooftops mm. and they're shouting, but there's so much more there. Yeah. There's layers yeah. like an onion. But see, part, absolutely, and this is, I think, part of the issue or part of the problem as well with our politicians, and maybe I've been harsh there now, on them as well. But was it, we expect so much of our politicians. Maybe it's wrong to expect them as they're currently set up. You know, today we're shouting and roaring at them about the health service. Tomorrow we'll be shouting and roaring about Shannon Airport and then we'll be shouting and roaring about housing and then we'll be shouting and roaring about something else. So yeah, we're, but we're but asking them to constantly, right, constantly, okay, constantly. Hang on a second now, Paul. We live in a democracy and we live in a scenario where we have a government and that government is elected by we the people. Mm. And we control them in or we control them yeah. out every five years. Yeah. So they should be doing what we're asking them to do. But they feel, I think, is it, and this I think is part of it, they feel as if they are. That's why, you know, you just shout out the headline, just kind of create the bit of phraseology. No, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry now, Paul. I don't think that there are any people in this county that are happy to be just sort of roaring the question, Oh, Jesus, what are you going to do about it? We shouldn't have this, we shouldn't have that. We want results. Okay. Right? This hasn't this didn't start yesterday or last week. This is an ongoing mm -hmm. issue. Okay, so and this, you're reflecting maybe the question I've heard John Kelly ask on you, on the media show. Well, what is it that you would do? I think he put that around the table there a couple of times. Yeah. Take that one. Just take the political. And I think we all agree that the political um, accountability stroke political responsibility in the sense that it is a reflection of we the people. Yeah. That's an important, an important role or an important right. factor in the provision of health services in Ireland. But I... Can I just... So, right. So how do we deal with that? It's not working at the moment. 
because okay I would say and I, I, I challenge anyone can challenge me on this no problem because we got rid of we'll say one level of it in the health boards it's not working because we expect too much of our Oireachtas members we're, we're asking them to do a myriad of, of tasks every week so change that change it and here's how you can change that create an elected representative body to oversee health and health exclusively not a county councillor not an Oireachtas member create a regional health authority that elects 10 people and that then the consultants elect one person, the pharmacists elect one person, the GPs elect one person, the nurses elect one person, like the old health board system, but it's an exclusive political entity for health and health alone. And leave it at that. And do you think that if that's going back to AKA a certain element of what the health Health boards boards were were, that you would get more accountability I think right, which I don't think any of the, those people would mind their being mm-hmm. accountable because they 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 have no problem being accountable about what they do. But mm-hmm. it's the bigger system is where mm-hmm. the problem is, right? And that they do that, and that they can sort of dis, uh, discuss and trash, and that they will probably have the cojones to come out and say. These are the problems. Yeah. If it's underpinned legislatively, yeah. like the health boards were with the Health Act of 1970, you know, if that new structure is underpinned that way, I have no doubt but that it can be successful. Yeah. Now, it won't be successful straight away. Of course it won't. There's yeah. structural, there's systematic or systems issues here. But it brings back in the accountability and the direct accountability and maybe a, a set of public representatives that are prime are singularly focused on the provision of health care yeah. and nothing else. Right. They're not worrying about because roads or, or, yeah, or the other or The other big element that's in the room that I don't think anyone is sort of free to acknowledge, or, well, they're might free to acknowledge, um, the last publicly built hospital in this country, Tala. Tala or Beaumont. Yeah, Tala, 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 right? Tala, Tala. Okay. Yeah. Probably 20, 30 years old at this stage. Mm. Right. Has anything happened to our population mm. in the last 20 or 30 years? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, a, it's a really good point. No, no, yeah, I, absolutely. I, 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 I'm deadly serious. You, you right? are. You are. It's and, great. And, and because it goes back to this whole thing. When the A&Es in Tip and Nina were closed, I can remember reading some bureaucrats in, uh, you know, sending uh, sound bites to the local papers. Well, figures show that approximately 1.6 people per night from Clare and uh, 0.7 of a person from Tipperary would be discommoded by having to be brought into A&E in Limerick, right? Mm. And they had all these figures of mm-hmm. 0. 0.6, 0.7, 1.2. And it basically transpired that from their figures that they said there would be an extra four people brought into A&E in Limerick uh, on average per night, r- roughly in around that. Yeah. Okay, so you say that's four people, That's uh, multiply that by seven, that's 28. That's so you'd say that's okay, right? We need twenty-eight uh, extra bed spaces in the regional for that period of time. And what was done? Sweet no, FA, right? The other thing I would say to you: uh, you have every health minister out there saying we've thrown money at this, we've thrown money at that. I said, yeah, you have. And what value have you got for it? Nothing. Yeah. You put out a tender for a children's hospital, and you forgot to actually include the wiring in the tender. Yeah. At a cost of three hundred million, who's accountable for it? No one. Who's got sacked for it? No one. Who's going to pay for it? You and me. Go back to the very first question you posed there, Luke, and it's um, 
1997, we had the um, preliminary um, um, CSO um, census figures were come out there just before Christmas. Population of the island now, and the island includes Northern Ireland, and the, the, by all means, the NHS doesn't work exactly well up in, in Northern Ireland. But look, just from a population perspective, we are now on 7.1 million people on the island, the highest we've ever been since 1850, or just before the famine, that 1841, sorry, 1841. So we're on 7.1 million. In 1997, when I actually went onto the health board force in 1997, our population was 5.2 million, our country population. So that's an increase of 30%, 25-30%, an increase in population. And we have not, we have not, we have not, as you rightly say that, we have not invested in our hospital infrastructure. Um, we are still, we're kind of slowly coming down in relation to the beds, now it's not look it's a crude figure beds per thousand it's 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 but it gives an indicator our beds per thousand are just under 3 three beds, three hospital beds per thousand, 2.89. That's been coming down, coming down, coming down. We took a huge amount of beds out of our acute system in the 80s with the because crisis. We we the crisis. We, oh, and we never replaced those beds. And that's part of what we're dealing with now as well. And, in, in, and allied to the fact that we have a population explosion, you know, with 25% extra people over a period of 25 yeah, years. But the population is getting older, Paul. Again, it's going to have more, it's going to have more needs, chronic needs, acute needs yeah. um, in the future. Absolutely. And we're not, we're not, and I've heard you about this, we're not planning for that. We are no, most definitely not planning for that. We're, eluded, we're a country that plans for nothing. Yeah. And the big danger, just on that as well, just seeing that the response of the political system, the, the, well, now that they're back from the Christmas recess, the response of the political system this week and the response, the specific, you'll be watching this closely, the specific response of the Minister for Health. Again, making, I think, um, fundamental errors. He's trying to say, look over here, this is where the problem is. He now wants to bring in this um, exemption from planning for the development of hospital services, acute services, or the building of hospitals. Um, he's trying to pr- present this picture that there's a problem there. There is no problem there in relation to planning of hospitals. He says we can fast track. Again, so he's trying to create this problem that isn't there so that people he's will deflecting. debate that. He's deflecting. He's deflecting. And which again, which this is what drives me insane. You kind of, it gives you a bit of breathing space to not deal with the fundamentals, to kind of deflect and piss around for a couple of more years in the same way that a lot of our system said, oh, wait until we get the new A&D in Limerick and it'll all be sorted then. While the, anybody else could see if you don't have your medical assessment unit running in parallel, if you don't have your minor injuries clinic running in parallel, well, then you're off to an awful rocky start with this. And there are a couple of other elements to this um, in relation to what it is that you would do or could do to make it better. Well, one, I think we've teased out now as much as we can, the systems, the accountability system. Create a regional authority, a health authority that's represented and that's elected by the people. Something like the old health board system. So there's the first step. The second step, I think, in relation to the actual hospitals themselves and how they've operated. And we've we're seeing little inching steps on this. The MAU now has been, you know, has been started to... You know, if, we, if we illustrate yeah. this with examples, right. actually. OK, in the uh, Clare Champion and Clare Echo over the last week, there, were, there, there was a story about an elderly lady uh, that fell. Mm. And no way in hell... She, if, if she went in an ambulance... She was being brought to the regional. That's ridiculous. I heard, I heard Jim Collins yeah. on your media show talking about that's utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Um, that but somebody this is falls. The system, that's the Paul. system. That's, that's the system. system. It's, 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 the system it's is wrong. But in fairness, that lady was corpus mentis and clever enough to know herself under no circumstances are you putting me into an ambulance. Get me up to the minor injuries clinic in Ennis and I'll be out of there in half an hour. Yeah. Sorted. You know, we, we experienced it, Thomas, last year, a soccer game. 
young girls. Unfortunately, one of our girls broke her leg and it was half past seven and I just said, get her down to the minor injuries in Ennis. And again, this told its own story actually. It's going to close at eight o'clock. You know, get her down there and let's see what's wrong here. We, were, we weren't sure up on the pitch. Um, she went down, x-rayed, your leg is broken. Um, they knew exactly what to do. She was transferred into Limerick at that point. Yeah. And it was surgery scheduled for the next morning. Everything, the system worked perfectly right. Now, if that had happened, you know, sometimes games in the summertime might go on to nine o'clock. If that happened, if, if she had happened an hour later, you know, she could be stuck inside an A&E with drunks and the whole lot for the night on a yeah. Friday night. Yeah. It's, the system can work. Believe, I really do believe this system. It's not particular. We waste a lot of energy. Oh, reopen the A&E and it's reopen the A&E and Nina. I don't think we need to do it. I think we need to Make sure the MAU m- mirrors what's going on in the A&D. Make sure the minor injury mirrors what's going on in the A&D. And a couple of other things, I think, as well. Shannon Dock is part of a system. I'm not sure that Shannon, Shannon Dock, Dock is broken. I'm not sure that it works. I think, I remember, again, that came from the old health boards as well, the Shannon Dock system. Um, it came as a proposal from the GPs at the time. And that has evolved into this bureaucratic monster at this day, with a CEO, with the whole thing, it just seems crazy. Now it costs seven million euros a year. So if it's not working, it shouldn't. Be. If it's not working as it should work, it shouldn't be. But I'm not saying throw it out, get rid of it. I say Shannon Dock, subsume Shannon Dock into Ennis General Hospital, into Nina General Hospital, into St John's. Make Shannon Dock part of the MAU and have a 24 hours. Use the seven million that it costs Shannon Dock every year to have its own infrastructure. Bring it in as part of the MAUs. That helps to keep the MAUs. It does maybe. A minimal, I can't know, I shouldn't say that because I don't know, but there's, there isn't as much of a cost. You know, Shannon Dock seems to be an entity on its own now. It doesn't seem Sh- to be working. Sh- it Shannon, seems to, Shannon I don't Dock, know. From I'm not sure that from it works. what I'm aware, is basically the local GPs, of which there are a decreasing number, yeah. because it's not uh, an occupation that is, I won't say it's not rewarding, because you said it, med- medical Med- medicine in general is a vocation for I think the ninety five percent. Absolutely, yeah, that, absolutely. That but we are letting those people down, and this goes back to the initial thing where I started off about where um, what are we doing with the amount of people we're training in our medical system? We're exporting them to Australia. We're exporting yeah. to this. One of the things that they do in the NHS, Paul, is that th- uh, when people qualify through the NHS, they have to give a period of time mm. at working in the NHS. Yeah. Could maybe a national agreement be done that people that qualify medically in Ireland that maybe give 18 months of their time and maybe that they sort of start off where they might be sort of sent to the medical assessment units where they can yeah. assist the people with Shannon. Create a model. Create an act, a model that actually care, works. An and care and model. actually give them adequate pay, give them adequate services and give them maybe a little bit of faith in a, in a country mm. that would sort of say, well, okay, we acknowledge what you do, we cherish what you do, but we value what you mm. do, and we recognise it, and we will treat you accordingly. Yeah. Rather than sort of, no, we want you to work sort of like 140 hours a week for yeah. sort of no pay, and then we'll give out to you when you start to turn up five minutes late and you get mm. disciplined. Mm. You go out to Australia or New Zealand and you have, you know, your scheduled times, your 9 to 5 today, your 9 to 5 tomorrow, your sort of 5 to yeah. 2 the next day. But, it's but, all scheduled. You have a better quality of life. But do you know why that is the case? You see, we can't just, we see, politically now we might try, and I've seen it actually, I've seen your point there being raised now, but when you go to Australia, it's because the systems they have in place 
are working. Now, if we to try to do that, there's a little bit of cart before the horse on that. Absolutely, I think we should do it because we are we are training people. We are training people and we should get a benefit as a society from the training that we provide through the education system. We should. But you can't expect to dump doctors into an inhumane, as was, as was described, an inhumane system. You know, we have to make sure right. our system is working okay, properly right, for them. So we have to concentrate on that Right, okay, initially. okay, right. That, that's talking about dumping new people in the system. What about the people that are already in the system? The frontline people getting screwed over mm. royally yeah. by the sort of political uh, lack of will, lack of effort and the total sort of management yeah. in a majority of cases that just don't care. Yeah. Because but if they did care, they'd be sort of trying to come up with ideas like what you're coming up with. Putting in the likes of Shannon Dock incorporating that back into the hospital. Paul, that's such an idea. That makes sense. Mm. So the chances but are it won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait and see. You know, but but the, again, this goes back to the whole point that if you have regional groups, and like I, it has been alluded to before, they don't have huge issues down in Waterford Hospital with beds, uh, with um, people on trolleys, mm. right? So maybe there's something working in the system that they have done there. Yeah, systems. The, right? look, it's it's the, obvious. The systems here are yeah. totally the wrong. Si- the, the system in relation to anything to do with UHL from a managerial point mm. of view, and I'm not talking about the actual care you get when you mm. get it, but the optics of it from the outside look like it's a walking disaster. Yes. But the, look, it, maybe, we, we, and we're... Um, um, it's it's a harsh debate. It's a, but you, maybe look at some of the things that have happened, the good things that have happened in relation to UHL as part. You know, we have a great opportunity. I'd look on this as a great opportunity here. Now, it's 13 years into it, 2009. We've made catastrophic mistakes on it. Um, but it's still an opportunity if the commitment, the political commitment, and whether it's the politics of Dáil Éireann in Kildare Street or the politics of the clinical service, um, and somebody once described to me, actually in the health board, they talked about politics and said, everything is politics. It's such as, you've got this great theatre, um, the Oireachtas or the county council chamber, and it's broad, but say, we've got a smaller political theatre, you know, medical politics. And he said, the smaller the theatre, the more vicious the fight. You know, you've got a lot of internal medical politics as well that have to be sorted out. You know, you take um, consultant appointments. Now, yes. if there was a commitment to having a proper network in the Midwest, there should be shared consultants' appointments. One of the big death knells for Ennis was the losing of con- a consultant for the likes of Terry Hennessy. And some people might be familiar with that name. He was a great champion for Ennis as a consultant. He was a cardiac consultant and he works now inside because he had to be centralised as well. You might see his name in the current kind of media because he's reviewing the MAU now at this stage. So when you lost him, John O'Dea, an, an anaesthetist, um, from Ennis as well. They were good, doughty fighters for Ennis General Hospital. So you've got medical politics. Don't underestimate that. We, we, we do reflect, or we do say, yes, the, med, the, the, med, the, the practitioners on the front line are excellent. But, you know, they're yeah, not exclusively 100% right about everything either. No, but, I agree. But, you but, lose but in them, general, you need, they, they, so they're fighting the good cause. They're trying general, to. They're, they're trying, trying to. But again, to, they're yeah. protecting their own patch as well. So they have to be tempered yeah. by maybe a politician or a pharmacist or a nurse or whatever. So, you know, it works like that. That's how it works. That's how it works. So if you shared consultant appointments between Limerick, Ennis and Nina, make sure that they're genuinely shared, that you do spend some of your time out in those re- those general yeah. hospitals. That's but as I was just trying to say the po- the positive things. What we, a really positive evolve evolution or development in the Midwest has been the connection of um, uh, the postgraduate um, doctor um, training in UL. 
Yeah. We, we, we now create doctors. So we've got this, we've got this connection between academia and the hospitals. That's really, really good for research. Or it should be really, really good for research. You should be able to kind of attract the best candidates when you can provide an academic background and a clinical background. You should, but people don't want to look at yeah, that. The, or sli- want the slight irony of, we'll say, UL producing doctors and UL being in charge of the hospital. <laughs> You know that that that's not that's not nominally yeah, sure. Sorry, that's the naming sorry, of sorry, it. I, yeah, it's a good. Naming. It's the naming, and yeah. that's important. If when people look at that around the world, they say, "Well, where would I like to go and study to be a doctor?" Oh, look, there's a regional hospital, and it's part of a network of hospitals, um, and it's got a good university. I'd like to go and train there. And this is the point. Now, this we've gone to this point. Now we've gone to this really dangerous point where you describe a thing as a car crash, um, the hospital of death or inhumane conditions and then someone's going to say some students going to say oh I'm not going there yeah that's why it's so dangerous Correct. that's why we have to now at this point not just be sh- shouting and roaring the same old crap we've shouted and roared for 20 years we have to really clinically pardon the pun clinically like a laser zone in on how it is we solve this and how it is we deal with this and, and we I, should be doing that here from the Midwest one of the things that's not, not going to fix it is money right? no because I've seen that Thomas be- says because, I've seen because that. money no. I, I said I, I would say money put in the right areas will help, but mm. not just sort of throwing totally. money, at, uh, throwing money at a wall. Like if you go into UL, you, uh, the region, okay, right? They're building and building and building, mm. and a lot has been built there. Yeah. But but you start to look at it, and you start to go. It's on a very restricted site at this stage, yeah. right? And just one thing, the maternity hospital. Was supposed to be relocated. It's supposed to be out there in Duradoyle, yeah. In Duradoyle. Best practices Best as well practices, to have it there. Blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Not going to happen. I said, another debate needs to happen, Paul. And and maybe it, it could be sort of linked, it would say, with the systems for, you know, the medical assessment units and a little bit more common sense. But a greenfield site for either a combination of um, off mm. services off-site that don't need to be provided at hospitals. Maybe it could be con- consultations, uh, proper transport, mm. um, humane conditions for people, you know, step down. Yeah. A greenfield site in the Midwest. I, I'd be nervous of it, Luke. I, 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 see, because I get this. Well, I, I, I'm talking about population, Paul. Yeah, okay, yeah, fair right. enough. And we've seen 25% in 25 years. Yeah. yeah, we might need to kind of address that. But I think before we address that, and it's, that's even been mooted, I noticed the current clinical director of services, his name has gone from me now, he has kind of said, oh, maybe we need another, or no, he didn't say maybe, he said, we do need another Model 3 hospital. And this is something I've learned I didn't realise actually now. We, this gap, um, Ennis and Nina are a Model 2 hospital. Um, UL is a Model 4 hospital. So we, we, we've always started on the back foot by not having this closer gap Model 3. That's something I didn't realise until now, until this current fiasco at this stage. But I would always be nervous about, it's like this, um, you know, it's like no more so than I just said about the Minister for Health talking about the planning process. You know, this diversion now from the core issue Um trying to convince people that by doing this um, we will solve everything when you're not dealing with the fundamentals and the core and keep it as simple as possible the core issue is that model can work if it's properly implemented MAU mirrors A&E minor injuries mirrors A&E alcohol comes out into a wet one um, Shannon Dock gets subsumed into the MAU I think it can work into the MAU and the minor injuries create the regional 
um, responsible authority that oversees the whole thing. Um, shared appointments across the network. It's a real and genuine network of hospitals, not just tacked on Nina, tacked on Ennis, that it's properly working as a as a, as a cohesive unit. Um, there'd be some of the things. The inappropriate access of the A&E has just been horrendous, I think, over Christmas. Just following someone, the one you mentioned there, and that I think Jim mentioned, that the lady who fell in the uh, sidewalk or in the pavement in Ennis and cut her head. Simple enough thing, Thanks be to God, she wasn't badly injured, but she recognised, I'm not going near an A&E, and she would block it up. She'd be there all night. Sorted, half an hour. There's another guy I, I was just saw it over Christmas, <laughs> made a big hoo-ha on but, Facebook. Sorry. But, Paul, the, the, the way that this country is gone, right, back in the day, if you sort of, if you damaged your pinky, you might have rang the local doctor, right? Now you ring 999 and you want an ambulance. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. I'm. I'm just listening to about the that lady. Is kind of are are people afraid from a litigation point of view mm. to make the wrong call? Absolutely. And the easiest thing in the thing. world is oh, sending it to A and E covers my ass. Absolutely. Covers That's my decision that might be wrong. Yeah. I think, and by her yeah. hitting her head, yeah. they said, yeah. "Oh, you know what? Head injury. Bang. Straight in. Straight yeah. in." Yeah, absolutely. That's and that's Thomas or Luke. What you were saying there before we used to, we won't ever go back to that. You know, we won't go back to that. But Thomas's point, it's a, that's an absolute point. Um, that even with Shannon Doc, you know, I think what we think goes on there a lot is that you get, you know, cover, but you get a reference. You go to Shannon Doc, but you get a reference to go straight into the hospital because they're they're not confident in, in, in the service it is that they have, that they're not going to be able to get out of the woods if there is an issue. So you keep pushing it away, keep pushing it away. That's an issue. That's an absolute issue. Um, but the irony of ironies is at this stage, we saw that awful case, awful, awful case before Christmas, the girl from Shannon with the meningitis, the young girl um, who died inside in the A&D. And look, I say, make no mistake, she, partial of the reason that she died was because there was inappropriate attendance at A&D by other individuals. Now, that might have been driven by self-inflicted stuff, whether it was alcohol or drugs or whatever. It was t- definitely delivered by people that were brought in by ambulance that could have been assessed because and dealt the with. In, is, in, the, the, sy- system is the systems are wrong. Of course the systems yeah. are wrong. I'll give you just one more example there, Luke, over Cripfall. Just three examples of this, why it can be and should be sorted. You've got the lady who fell on the pavement. Great example. I was following a guy um, over Christmas online. He made a big thing about his thing. And it was obvious from the first sentence of of his thing was that he had a chronic condition, Crohn's disease. He had a chronic condition. No way should he have been within an ass's roar of A&D. You know, he shouldn't have been there. Now, he ended up being on national media, Claire Burns show, the whole thing, talking about his condition. And it was was horrible. It was horrible. He had a horrible experience. But he shouldn't have been within... He shouldn't... He's... I have no doubt but that his system... He knew it himself with Crohn's disease. You know, he knew what he needed, but he was inside there for four days. And again, he blocked, uh, no, sorry, he didn't block. He, 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 the fact that he was there meant that somebody else wasn't getting the attention and care that they needed. He shouldn't have gone any further than an MAU and it would have been sorted. He could have been dealt with, whether it was steroids or whatever it is that he needs. Now, he ended up having to go to, I think, the Galway Clinic. But he did a half hour debate on, and it was a highly emotional debate. And that's, you understand that. But nobody, Claire Byrne or anybody, wasn't asking the question of him and of everybody else. It was a chronic condition. You know, with your own chronic condition, you kind of know people have to live with these horrible things, chronic conditions. He kind of knew what was happening. 
But and maybe he had no other option. He had to go. But it just, it just, it just seems ridiculous. It just seems ridiculous. Yeah, but that it, that's it's it. this whole drive that basically we're driving you to the centre of excellence, right? Right? Because mm. you know th- that we're sort of set, we've centralised all this into the one wonderful place, which everybody sort of is now sort of giving out about. You know, has been given out about and saying it's the centre of disaster, centre of that. Blah, 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 blah. Ter- but it's we, the we, system we, is the problem. Yeah. So you have to address the system. You don't start saying we're going to throw money at it, we're going to build a new hospital. You don't start saying, oh, we're going to get rid of planning laws because it's holding us up. You have to be absolutely honest about what it is that's wrong and then start dealing with it. And then you can start throwing money at things later. But you make sure that your system, and that's the issue here, our system is wrong. Right. But we spend okay. so much time and it's led sometimes by the media here in Clare, sometimes by the media here in Clare, we spend so much time. We need to reopen our A&D. You know, it's it's a blanket all thing. It's 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 it's, it's a, not it's focused a, it's, on yeah, what it's, a, it's, it's not an focused. easy catchphrase to come yeah, on. And it, it's a simple but, enough but, concept, but, but, but it's not but, right. But you can it won't under, be right. You can understand for reasons when they say that. Okay, they say that you need to have an X amount of people going through your local area. Yeah, system. To, to have your expertise on the have clinicians to, to that have are there. To, mm. Okay, that, that's, that's right. That's, that's understand- correct. And understandable. So you could say that, right, the the, the question of the 24-hour A&E in, in those areas, you can understand that to a certain yeah. point. But I said they didn't sort of put extra facilities <laughs> and staff into with the region when that started. Mm. And you that's, tried to do it on the cheap, like tried we said. To do that's it on, what we tried on to do. the cheap. Yeah. But we said there are plenty of uh, facilities that can be in the local hospitals, as you said, mm. the tier two hospitals. Any of those chronic conditions, any of those yeah. minor injuries, um, especially, the st- and this is the third one, the third example I was going to use, um, the elderly, uh, the elderly falling is, 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 is always a huge issue. It, you know, and then you tend to fall, you're found, or you're, you know, your home help or your family member or whatever, you might be found, you might have been on the ground for a while, you could be unconscious, you're brought straight into A&E and that's horrible. It's the most horrible existence or most horrible location for people at that point in life, having suffered what they have suffered to go into an A&E. And you know what? They don't. I think in most cases, I think the MAU, you know, if this happens in, in Ennis Diamond or if it happens in Kilbaha or Kilrush, you're driving past Ennis, or if it happens in Boris Cain, or it happens in Clock Jordan or Ross Gray, you're driving past Nina, you're tearing into Limerick, and within 10 days, if they can get you out, yeah. that you'll be back out there anyway. And I think in most of those cases, they're not A&E cases either, yeah. that the system, the system should be able to accommodate them in the Tier 2 hospitals. It should be able to accommodate those type of people without going through the A&D, because again, by being in there in the A&D, you're actually, you know, you, 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 you're, you're putting at risk people that do need to be, and not, not, it's not the people's fault, but the fact the system has placed you there, you're putting at risk the people that really need the A&D, yeah. I think. When you, when you reflect on the last few years, it's a bit like Mrs. Doyle, did she have that line, I love the misery? <laughs> oh, God. Right? <laughs> we, we, we yeah. basically, we have had, we've had a fairly, we've had a fairly miserable last three days, or three years, since COVID started. Mm. Mm. But a lot of people saw how things worked during COVID. All this stuff people can be sta- done. People stayed at home. Yeah. We had lockdowns. Yeah. 
We had vaccination centres. We had pop-up mm. vaccination centres yeah. that happened Good. in hotels, in gyms. They worked systematically so well. Yeah. You got your appointment. You were there yeah. on time because God forbid if you weren't there on time or if you, you arrived five minutes earlier or five minutes later, you didn't get your vaccine. Mm. People queued. You saw you saw the work that was done in Scarif mm. when the the vaccine was administered to yeah. the aging population yeah. and how systematic That's right. it I was saw, done. I saw it. Yeah, very good. good my point. own mother yeah. was there. It was done. You were let out the back door. Yeah. That's if right. You, if you're, yeah. but the thing about it is, over a very short period of time, systems were brought into place. They were needed to be done, and they were done. And the lead up to this winter, we were told by several. Uh, medical representatives, this winter was going to be really, really difficult. Yeah. From a a respiratory sort of illnesses Mm. with children now, let's say, you know, getting all these different bugs and viruses. We've been mask wearing for for the last few years Mm. because we've had to because of COVID. And all of a sudden, our immune system to other things depleted somewhat because we weren't getting the normal Mm. illnesses. And now we've had a very, very difficult flu campaign Mm -hmm. where the flu has been more infectious than ever before. Mm. People have been getting sicker from the flu than COVID because uh, the majority of people have been vaccinated in bits and pieces. But it's been a three-prong, everything has come to uh, yeah. together. Plus, the other thing is, the war in Ukraine hasn't helped anyone mm. from a point of view of vulnerable people coming from war-stricken country. They've also needed mm. to get medical assistance. So everything has come together. Mm. And it's like the flood coming to the dam. Yeah. And the dam is in difficulty. Has been breached. Or has Big been time. Breached, yeah, has been, has been breached. And here we are. And we're saying, we don't have the systems in place yeah. because we've had this this flood of issues yeah. that have come together. But it is it, that's that's true. So but it's a perfect storm in perfect the worst storm, in the worst should, possible the, way. But the danger with that, is, Thomas, is the, the political system then says all those things that you have just said there and uses that as an excuse not to do anything about it. Exactly. Now that's the danger. Yes, it's yeah, the, it's, they, it's they, the have, excuse, they have, but they have all come it's, together. It's, but it's it's the reality, but yet, as you but said... But you still should be vocationally motivated to deal with the issue as best you possibly can. And that's a long-term... You have to take a long-term view on that. You, know, you won't score... You won't get good political... Um, points on this one early on like you know you have to be committed to this for a long time maybe that's why you know, the, our political system doesn't really work in that way we kind of we, we, we're transitory we're, we're quick you move on to the next thing you have the next election coming up you know I, and could, could I just say I refer back to one of my favourite bugbears regarding this great country of ours we do not plan, plan. for anything in this country. Well, I don't know, maybe we're coming to the conclusion of this now at this stage, but just, Tommy, you just, when you talked there, and I do remember that, I remember the way that was locally administered, and this maybe is the same theme we've been talking here, but I think one of our big issues planning, but the centralisation of the provision of services, I think is a massive issue. That was a good example that you outlined there in relation to how it is that locally we could manage. And that meant you had the GP service, it meant you had, that was stewarded by different groups, community council, GAA, the whole lot here in Scarif as well. It worked really, really well. It's a local, it was a local response. We're very much afraid of, 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 of localism um, in Ireland, we tend to feel we have to centralise it. We have to centralise it. It can only work if it's centralised. It can only come from Dublin. It can only come from Dublin. And I was listening to something, and maybe this is what we might end on. Um, there was a beautiful um, release of... Sometimes you have to look to the poets. 
<laughs> Would you agree that? Sometimes you have to look to the Irish poets <laughs> to find something. Tom, Tom <laughs> we're going to finish. No, no, before you get to the poets now, I re- no, the thing about you, you, you mentioned the HSC, and I remember an interview being, um, I, I listened to, where they had one of the main men involved in changing the English when when it was in trouble. I don't know, 15 years ago when they had a, a serious, serious issue. And I remember one of the points that he came to, he said, he said, look, I went on the ground, I went through all the hospitals, I spent days and days and days speaking to people and and, and d- d- getting different vibes. From it. But one of the things that I noticed, he said, that was a core factor in so many procedures being delayed and appointments not met and so forth was basically timekeeping was the number one. He said, consultants arriving late. Timekeeping. Timekeeping. Because their yeah. their horse had reared up in their stables or whatever, or they, were, they arrived in an hour and a half late for their patients. Straight away, there was a backlog yeah, it, it, it's of gonna, yeah. patients, mm. more patients arriving for their one o'clock appointment, but they weren't seen till three o'clock mm. because mm. the consultant was late in mm. and it would happen regularly. Yeah. And your man basically put all these, he said, look, he said, this is this is what's happening on the ground. Mm. He said, we, we can't avoid, he said, people when they come for appointments and bits and pieces, the consultants have to be included in this as well. They can't have a free reign of arriving whenever they want because it messes up down the line what's happening. And it's unfair to nurses, it's unfair to porters, it's unfair to the system. The system. So, yeah, so, but how how does that get changed in the system? If there's no particular accountability in relation to that, then it can't be changed. Whereas if that system involves some kind of representation with the public who bring that to... Yeah, absolutely. um, ...to to people, well, then you have a chance of changing that. Yeah, could could I just... Here's one point, Tom, and you, you talk about consultants. Years ago, Paul, uh, there's contracts for consultants. Mm. And I can't remember which uh, government it was, but I think it may have been Fianna Fáil. I, I, I'm, I'm almost correction on that. They brought down yeah. the, 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 there was a, yeah, yeah. the wages. You see, we haven't been, even, graven, yeah. been given to consultants, <laughs> right? We and they were bitching about it, saying that, well, you're not going to get the people that mm. are lo- looking mm. to turn into consultants. And the, and this is one of those things. Well, you see, this, yeah, see here, yeah. we haven't even touched on I don't, I don't think we should start now. But this is, we, we have a peculiar model here in Ireland actually this this public private yes, we, we've got these, the point we've got these two make. parallel models and that opens up a whole other <laughs> criteria of um, of issues and problems and 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 things to work out and systems but it is it's it's, it's I, don't, I think we could spend another hour at least on that yeah. but it is a peculiarity and some would even say that by definition if you have these two systems working in parallel a private system and a public system well by definition the public system can't be successful. It can't be let be successful because the private system has to exist as well. But you have so the, you have the scenario where, where the private system has been operated sometimes on the public ground. Oh, you by, by, by the consultants. That, that's what they were that, trying to yeah. address at that no, time no, with the contracts. I, yeah, and, mm. and with the contracts. And I think it was a little bit like you said, right, we're going to screw them, mm. right? But it has come back to bite in a big way. And you talk mm. about sort of money being thrown at this and money being thrown at that. There aren't a million consultants in the country. The numbers involved are quite small. Mm. And the figures involved in the bigger scheme of things will say from, you know, you're, you're, we're not talking Michael Noonan millions and billions here. Mm. We're talking maybe a few million uh, extra a year into a healthcare budget that oh, I, I, 
last time I think I, I sort of uh, looked at it was well over 12 billion oh, a year. Billion, it's yeah. probably closer to 20 yeah. you know so the figure mm. involved is minuscule but that would be one of the systems that if it was sort of changed now look it'd be a little bit like you well, know you no, be, no, you, no, no, mm. no solicitor or barrister is going to vote for the courts to be put out of business right <laughs> so a little bit like no consultant is sort of going to well, vote that's why for that would, that's why that was so difficult you know you had yeah. these you had two different contracts you have that old uh, mix of public private contract you have this new public contract which you are paid at yeah. a higher rate and then you have this kind of contract where you're kind of at a lower rate but you can have private you can practice you can practice private medicine as well yeah. but like I said th- there's a definite complexity um, and some people would say oh let the private system rock on it'll solve all the issues um, it won't well, I know I know of some people now you know, who, you know the bread and butter belt and braces um, private medicine is the likes of um, heart bypasses hip opera- hip replacements knee replacements that's your stuff you kind of you, 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 you bring in the patient you get it done and it's successful it works but if there's a complexity to any of those systems if somebody has an underlying condition well then the private system does not want to go near that yeah, and you, so you, then the public system has to take up that slack you know so it's very important that we have a properly functioning public system yeah and then you the can private system of, can yeah. cherry pick it can cherry pick and you can look at we'll say the United States to sort of give a perfect well, example that's, of that that's, that's and an you awful can look at what, Bor- what Boris was trying to do to the NHS and to the the NH- go back to where we start with the NHS and the, the, the point about the NHS was at the time that y- you are you access care not according to your wealth or your money but according to your need and maybe Indeed. then you, maybe you you pay for it you know, through your taxation, through your general taxation system, according to your wealth, yeah. and that's an issue here as well in relation to the likes of the GMS system with the with with, with the with the with the medical cards. We could talk about that as well. Yeah. You know, that's not done by your need; it's done by your 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 your, your income. Yeah. That's wrong. I think that's wrong. It should be by your need, so it runs out of control. You know, it, it, anyway. Right, that, that, that's one thing. Back Tom, to the poets. Uh, back back to the poets before we finish. <laughs> Tom, Tom, your your closing remarks for 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 the day. Oh, I'm. Uh, this is this is this is an area where I can only scrape the surface. I'm sorry to say. Um, yeah, I look. It's like everything, um, rhetoric, and you know the mood music and whatever like that <laughs> change. It can be can be can be very relevant uh, when it comes to very very serious issues. But the underlying issues don't get dealt with, and I think that's what we've said today. That it's it's about the system as opposed to trying to throw um, band-aids over cracks and this and that for short-term measures, that the system has to be developed, whether it's 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 short-term, long-term, to, to bring all the different components together to make it work. Mm. And we've seen how systems can work uh, through COVID and how people have stepped up and have been, you know, heroes in so many different ways when their lives were at stake. So here we are with, uh, you know, a kind of a, a multiple of problems that I think our backs are up against the wall now and, and we just have to deal with them and we need to get the right people to do it. And the big question has to be asked, do we have the right people, both in the political circles and from an educational point of view or is the will really there at the highest level to get this mm. done? Well, I think the highest level um, is a point, and this is to bring it to, 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 to the poet. <laughs> anyway, like the highest, I think this is the mistake we've possibly. Okay, yeah, we need Harry Truman's adage that the book stops on my desk. Yes, but to administer to change the systems, I think we're looking in the wrong direction. And just, I'm, I still have that image in my head, Thomas, of you and of, of you outlining the the dealing with the COVID, the administration of the COVID vaccine here in Scarif. And it's, I think, the key to this is localism. 
Um, it's how we can do things locally, that we have the, the confidence that the centre, that the centralised part of Irish society has the confidence in the local to develop, to administer, to make better, to provide. And that's the mistake we're making. And this is, going bring it back, this is something, they released a thing last year, it was Patrick Cavan at the Monaghan Port, um, you might remember him from your leaving cert. And he has, yep. he did, they released a lot of his poems on a, on a it was your man Garrick de Bruyne who had clatter records, you know, all the folk music in Ireland mm. and things. He, mm. But he had died. But anyway, they re-released it. And it was Kavanaugh talking in the early 60s. And it's just a little section. I asked Luke to take it out here now. And it's a big, it's, I, I, would, I would advise anybody to listen to this. There's some excellent renditions of some of his poetry um, on this album. You can get it on Spotify or whatever. Like, you know, actually, a little tip. The best one I have heard is um, Rachel Blackmore, the jockey doing Pegasus. It's a poem by Kavanaugh. She, actually knock you over listening to her. and she didn't even wasn't even into it but she just captures this thing anyway he does a piece here and he's kind of semi-autobiographical he's talking about his life in Dublin coming to Dublin in 1940 you know and living in Dublin but he talks about um, parochialism provincialism and I think it for me captures a lot of the elements of what it is that we continue even after his time choose to do wrongly now, Tom, did you ever think on an episode of El Politico <laughs> we'd be talking poetry? <laughs> Never. We might no. be waxing lyrical about <laughs> stuff, but would we ever be talking poetry? I, I never, poetry wasn't my number one topic. Pure poetry. I, 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 I poetry in the arse, which is it? Back, back in the day. So listen, we're going to, we're going to leave on a, on a bit of poetry and then we're going to have a bit of madness to roll the show oh, yeah. and uh, put it out to that. So as ever, Tom, if you want to sort of uh, thank everybody for turning up. <laughs> No, absolutely. Uh, it's long overdue and uh, Happy New Year to everyone yeah. that's listening today. And uh, yeah, stay safe. And I'd say, like Arnie, uh, we'll be back. <laughs> Paul, many thanks. Uh, man, Luke, and I man, said, Thomas. Cheers, Luke. I, I, th- th- I think that this part, this uh, episode has been well worked. We got that uh, off our so chest anyway. Exactly, yeah. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so uh, so we're now going to sort of go highbrow and we'll finish oh, with, 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 with a little bit of poetry. So until the next we'll, political, hopefully, same time, same back channel, we'll talk to you soon. We note that most common complaints about ourselves is that we are parochial. And it might be interesting to speculate on just what is parochialism and is it related to provincialism. Parochialism and provincialism are direct opposites. The provincial has no mind of his own. He does not trust what his eyes see until he has heard what the metropolis towards which his eyes are turned has to say on the subject. The parochial mentality, on the other hand, is never in any doubt about the social and artistic validity of his parish. All great civilizations are based on the parish, Greek, Israelite, English. The most parochial of all modern civilizations is the English. In Ireland, we are provincial, not parochial, for it requires a great deal of courage to be parochial. When we do attempt having the courage of our parish, we are inclined to play up to the larger parish on the other side of the Irish Sea. In recent times, we have had two great Irish parishioners, James Joyce and George Moore. They explained nothing. Advising people not to be ashamed of their parish is not free from danger. There is always the element of bravado, which takes pleasure in the notion that the potato patch is the ultimate. 
To be parochial, a man needs the right kind of sensitive courage and the right kind of sensitive humility. And that's Mr. Kavanagh talking about all things parochial and stuff like that. And I suppose, as the man says, we are on a community radio, uh, SBCR, and we cover a lot of parishes here. And hopefully you'll have enjoyed the topics that you heard. So, this is our potato patch. Uh, exactly. This is our potato patch. And we're going to leave rather ironically with a song from Madness. And this is called House of Fun. <laughs> Oh, my wife. 